Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Good morning to everyone. And welcome to visitors. And uh, we are going to open the book today to the book of Revelation. I started talking on the uh, seven churches, the seven golden lampstands last week. And it had been brought to my attention that you guys had studied this not too long ago. Before I got here, I suppose. I would have known about it, I think. Um, so I hope it wasn't too quickly before I got here. But I prayed about it, and I wanted to know if I needed to just start something new or not. And I was thinking about praying about it, and I felt like the Lord was showing me that we have some good things to talk about with this. And what we're going to do is I'm going to go another week or two with it, then I'm going to do something else, and we're not going to do it straight through you know, everything all in one shot, but we'll intersperse some things to, to keep things variety. So is that good? Hopefully you'll get something out of this. Um, but I think it's a very important subject. I really feel like the Lord has laid it on my heart to talk about what Jesus says to the churches because we are living in a time when the church is not looked upon very favorably. We're living in a time when the church is not having as much influence as she should be and that's part of what we're trying to get together is we're trying to grow Faith Bible Fellowship. We're trying to get into a place where we're having more influence in people's lives, our, our lives first. We want to grow and know the Lord more and better. And we also want to be faithful representatives, faithful ambassadors out there in the community. And that's why we exist. Why, why else is the church here but to be a place for us to grow and to be ambassadors for others to know? And so we can learn a lot. And as we're learning the message to the churches, it applies not just to the body of believers together, but to each of us individually. So we're going to look at uh, the first church today, the church of Ephesus. It's the first church with the first message, and it's of first importance. Talking about first love. And so let's read verses 1 to 7 together, and we will go through it. And again... All of these churches that we're looking at as we go through this, some things apply to us, some things may apply at another time. But I say, when you read the book of Revelation, the message to the churches, you say, where the shoe fits. Can I learn something from this? And I believe what we can learn today can really make a difference in our spiritual lives. And it's a reminder that we all need to hear over and over again because we live in this fallen world. So let's look at verses 1 through 7. I'm just going to read through the passage. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So we begin with the very last verse there. He who hears, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus often said this, him who has ears, let him hear. It means you can hear things without hearing things. How can we hear what the Spirit is saying? You can read the Bible and not really understand what you're reading. You can hear a message from the preacher or from a friend or from somebody somewhere else. And you can hear it go in your ears. You can know what's being said, but you're not getting what the Spirit is saying. So the goal of the Christian life is to hear what the Spirit is saying. So that means we need to incline ourselves. We have to sit to attention. Um, I'm talking about spiritually sitting to attention, but I used to tell my students when I was teaching English over there in China, I'd say, like, you know, when you're learning something, get yourself in a position physically. That helps you get your spirit together, too. But get yourself listening. Get your ears peaked open. Slap your face if you're sleepy and, and that. And now, you know, nobody's doing that in here. But I hope you do it inside. We have to do that spiritually. Spiritually speaking, it's real easy to go to my Bible reading in the morning and it's just a routine and I'm just starting to read it again and I have to stop for a second and I don't physically, sometimes I do just because I'm physically sleepy, but I try to remember, not perfect, but I try to remember, hey, wake up, inner man, wake up and we want to get something from this. We don't just want to be reading something to be reading something. We want to get something. We want to grow. So that's what he means, I believe, when he says, him who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, perk up. Attention, please. All that. But it's a spiritual attention. We want to receive from the Spirit. And that's the only way to get through the book of Revelation, too, because a lot of things you won't understand just in the surface uh, what's being said. So now let's go back up to verse 1. And it says, These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands, And last week we talked about the seven stars. It's revealed that the seven stars are the angels to the churches. The angels meaning messenger. And so it could have been the pastor. It could have been a messenger. Whoever is doing the bidding of God might be considered angelic. Angels, the Greek word there is messenger. And so if you are one who is angelic, and you all are when you are doing the bidding of God, But when you're doing the bidding of God, the good news in verse 1 is that you are in his hands. He holds the seven stars in his hands. So it seems like things aren't going right. It seems like you might be rocking and reeling and something else has come up. But you can always take comfort that you are in his hands. The Bible says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus, Jesus will never leave us or depart from us because he's purchased us. We're sealed by his spirit. He's purchased us with the blood and we are in his hands, and I need to remember that quite often because sometimes it's just easy to forget, right? And the other good news in this verse is that he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And this is uh, what we mentioned last week is that, you know, how would we act? Would we act differently if we understood that he's in our midst right now? And that's that's what we have to remember. He's always in our midst, but... The encouraging thing here is that he's in the midst of the seven golden lampstands and there are things that need to be corrected. They are not 
perfect. And in some places, they need some serious warning, some serious rebuke. But yet, Jesus is in the midst of imperfect churches. He's in the midst of churches needing correction. And not only that, he's in the midst of us, you and me. We often need correction, right? But Jesus is in our midst, and that's the good news of the gospel. There is so much of grace in our relationship with the Lord that's wonderful, but we're going to learn that through the correction, it's not just, well, it's grace and everything's okay. We want to learn how to improve on it. We want to learn how to grow in it, and we want to be able to walk in it in such a way that it makes an effect on our lives and those around us. And so that's the reason we receive correction from him. Uh, verse 2 says that he knows our works, our labor. He knows our patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. So first, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. See, what I'm saying here is he, he knows our works, and that can make us nervous, and, and he wants to correct us. But his desire is to correct us lovingly and for our good. It's not to condemn us. And religion, old legalistic religion, would be a condemnation kind of correction. And you're a miserable wretch because you can't live up to this. You need to get going or God's going to smite you and he's holding you over the pit. And if you don't shape up, you'll ship out. You know, there is profit in warning, but it's not to condemn, it's to correct. And he corrects us because he wants to see the best for us. He, that's, that's his whole thing. He came to this earth, died for us, saved us, because he didn't want the worst for us. He wants the best for us. So we ought to listen to his correction. We need to heed correction. We shouldn't get upset when we're being corrected, even though it might not feel good, but it's for our good. It's something we can use. Um, in the Proverbs, there's a proverb that says, an enemy multiplies kisses. You know, an enemy will always flatter and make you feel great about everything, but a friend, a loving friend, may tell you the truth. We just hope they tell you the truth in a loving way, right? Sometimes that's not done so wonderfully. But if done wonderfully and lovingly, we ought to respond, and even if it's not done that way, we ought to respond and say, Lord, is it true? How, what do I need to know in order that I can grow? And so he wants to correct us, but first he tells us what's good in this passage. He, first he says, I know your works. That's a good thing for a church to have works. There are many churches that are still out there, and there's not much happening. And it's not a good thing to be passive or inactive. Works in a church is a good thing. It's it's something that shows life. It's something that shows activity. And as we talk at the business meeting later, we ought to talk about how we can work more, not as a, oh, i got to do something, but as a, what can I do? What can I get involved with? Because it's an exciting thing to be in service for the Lord. I know your works. You're, you're good. You're not sleeping. You're not inactive. You're not passive. You're working. But then he says, and your labor. Well, what's the difference between works and labor? Well, Sometimes it means the same thing. These are two different Greek words here. And the works is the actual action of working. Labor has the implication of some of the pains behind working. So this church was doing a good job working, but they were also suffering a little bit or, or, or just laboring in a sense that it wasn't easy all the time. And so they were bearing stuff. 
And Jesus said, that's good. You, I know that. I know your, your works and your labor. And he knows what you're doing. There are no uh, people serving the Lord who are in secret from the Lord. Maybe others outside uh, in this area or in the church or in your family, maybe they don't recognize you. Maybe they don't understand what you've sacrificed or what you're doing. But the Lord knows. He knows your works. And everything is before him. And that's, that's a, a happy thing. That's a good news from this verse. And the last thing is patience there. Or not, that's not the last thing. Patience in bearing those who are, not bearing those who are evil. But patience. How we need patience in, in the church moving forward, in standing strong in the day of evil, in seeing God come through in some of the things we're praying about. And uh, we are living in an age of impatience. And the technology revolution hasn't helped that anything. The, the technology revolution has brought everything to us instantly and immediately, and, and we're wanting microwave results from a God who often uses crockpot cooking, if I could say that. We, there is time. It's, it's like gardening. You, know, you plant seeds, and a garden doesn't spring up overnight, and that's the way it is with spiritual growth. Things don't just happen overnight all the time. Sometimes, miraculously, it might, but... We need to learn patience, and just we can be reminded of that right here. It is a good thing to be patient. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises, Hebrews 6, 12. And often we say, well, I had faith, but did you have patience? Were you waiting? Were you, were you leaving it all into God's time? Were you, were you uh, looking to him, depending on him, and living with anticipation, expectation, and walking in the obedience that he wants from you now as you move forward that goal? Uh, and then they've tested those who say they are apostles and not. And that's a good thing. There are a lot of churches out there, or there are a lot of Christians out there right now that watch a lot of TV and, and uh, they'll watch anybody who has something exciting to say. I just heard of some prophetess le- uh, recently that talked about mountains of jello in heaven. And I thought, what? You know, where do they get that? And why would people be listening to that? Well, you know, I'm not saying they don't all have, there's not something, but I just think there needs to be discernment. And I know this is a discerning church, so I'm, t- I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys will discern. You'll let me know if I say something that you don't like, I'm, prob- I'm sure. But, uh, and that's okay. I'll, I'll go to the Lord and say, is that right? Um, hopefully, hopefully, but, you know, I'm human. Um, but discernment is a good thing. But it's a dangerous thing, too, because I have seen uh, lots of discernment ministries and churches that are very discerning that will be so discerning that they will be shut off to anything that's outside of their thinking or understanding. And that's usually how revivals are quenched. God in the past, when he did revivals, would just do some extraordinary things and and there were some in the church that gave in and went with it and others were saying, hmm, I don't know about this. And then... You know, and sometimes you got to be careful. There are things that you have to say, no, that's not, not it. But it's a delicate balance. And the warning here, I guess, will be rounded out by how he corrects us. So discernment is a good thing, a positive thing, and a lot of churches don't have it. Where we have to be careful is where we have it, but where it's not putting us into a theological corner in which we can't allow God to do something outside of our, our thinking. 
sounds like a difficult balance to keep. What do I do? Well, you depend on the Lord. You keep yourself uh, looking to him, praying, and, um, and you go into what we're going to talk about today. But one last thing that was good is he said that they persevered. Verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and not become weary. And perseverance is another uh, element to the patience. But there are so many people that get tired just before the breakthrough comes. And I've heard many people say, and I believe it's true, and I think we all have to test it sometime, is that you're going to succeed if you just don't quit. You don't give up. There's going to come a place where God's going to say, this is it. You've come to this place now. But a lot of people, I believe, will not persevere. Again, this culture has conditioned us, trained us to want things immediately, instantly, according to our own understanding, according to our way. And it's harder to persevere when we are growing up and living in that type of mindset. And it's not something we can help so easily. It's just what we're a part of, the culture we're a part of. And that's one reason we come to church, we hear the word, we have to be reminded and encouraged to persevere. And again, that God is always working, and it's just a matter of persevering until you see it manifest, uh, until you see what you're looking for. And you may not see what you're looking for till the very end. Well, we're waiting right now. We believe Jesus is reigning right now, but it's not going to be seen and manifested until he returns and sets up his kingdom. And it can get kind of tiring. When, oh Lord, when? When are you coming and how long? But perseverance is where the victory is because you won't lose if you just don't quit. And now, how do we get strength to keep going? And this is what I believe he was driving at when he brings the correction in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. It's love that's going to make the difference. And this is a very uh, challenging correction here. When you talk about first love, or when you read about first love here, it's easy to think, well, he's talking about, you know, something from the past, my first love. Uh, when we think of first love, we could think of an old boyfriend, girlfriend, old romance, or something like that. What was the, your first love? And things. That's not what this passage is really implying. The Greek word for first here is protos, which can mean the number one, cardinal, but I believe it is meaning the other meaning of being primary, that is, of being most significant. In other words, love has to be the primary motivating factor in your life. And he's telling the Ephesians, that they left that. They didn't leave off loving Jesus. They didn't leave Jesus. But they left off the priority of love. Now, it's good that Jesus would correct this because this shows that he himself wants to have relationship with us. And he wants to see uh, a vibrant faith in us. And the only difference between a cold, dead religion or a religion of self-righteousness and a true relationship with God is 
the love factor and making it a priority in our lives. So Ephesians were gotten into this place where they were doing good things and they were defending the truth, but they didn't have the priority of love. You can speak the truth. You can be a defender of the truth. You can speak the truth and not speak it in love. And as Francis Schaeffer says, you're wrong. Well, no, I have the truth, but you're not speaking in the spirit of love, and it's not going to be received in the spirit of love. You can do great works for the Lord. You can do good things as a church, but you can have different motives. Well, this is to make me look good, or this is for something that's going to help me, and this is going to be, you know, we have all kinds of mixed motives in our inner depths, right? And we need to go back to the priority of saying it's by love. You can even have the desire, a good desire, to make a church grow and to advance the church, but it can all be about, well, we got to keep things afloat. we got to keep this together. This started back in such and such time, and we, we, we can't shut the doors. we got to keep it together. That's the wrong motivation. All our motivation must come out of a priority of loving a person, Jesus, and being in love with that person, receiving the love from that person, and looking to that person, Jesus, as to what do you want me to do? Because love is a response. It's not just an emotion and a feeling. Sometimes the emotion and the feeling isn't there, but it's a response, and it's a commitment. And so the Lord didn't want Ephesus, or any other church for that matter, to have this empty type of doing good things, and, and even where they did it for the Lord, in a sense, we can get caught up in a sense of religion and how we've always done things, but love is the difference. We need the protos. We need to be loving people and loving God first. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter, right? And how many weddings have we heard it in? And it's such a beautiful uh, passage. You can read it in weddings, no problem with that. But really, this is one of the most challenging passages in Scripture. It is a challenge because it just says that without love, all this stuff doesn't matter. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned as a martyr, but not, have not love, it profits me nothing. And we say, oh, that's beautiful, but really it convicts me. How much love do I really have? What am I doing? Am I pursuing love? Why do I read the Bible every day? Is it just so I can get to know more and that can win the Bible trivia contest? or I can look like I'm a more spiritual guy. It has to be for love. And that means that we are on a track, we are pursuing, and we are sensitive. We have to be sensitive to God and sensitive to others, and our goal in everything should be filling with love and overflowing with love. And the sensitivity, I was thinking about a time when I was teaching at a Bible school in China, and we were talking, actually, we were teaching through the book of Revelation, I believe. And uh, we got into this discussion of the New Jerusalem. And it just became a lively discussion. We were starting to talk about the glory of God, and everybody was contributing to the discussion, and their faces were lighting up. And it was just a wonderful uh, time because the word was just, you know, getting us excited about God. 
And then it was time to take a break. And so we, I said, five-minute break, ten-minute break, whatever. And the minute I got off on break, this one student comes up to me, and he comes up and he asked me a question wanting to talk about predestination. And I thought, wow, you know, weren't you just in the glory cloud with us up in heaven? And uh, now you want to get in an argument. He actually wanted to start arguing about predestination. And I thought, where, there was no sensitivity to the Spirit or what the Lord was showing us at that time. There was no love for God in it. I'm not saying he didn't have a love for God. I know he did. And I'm not saying it's wrong to talk about predestination or other theology. And it's not wrong to, to explore those kind of things. But there needs to be a sensitivity. And that's what I believe the Ephesians left off. They left off the sensitivity of that pursuit and that wanting to be in that position of love. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So, without love, the church is just religious. Without love, we lack the power. And the individual Christian fails to enter into all that God wants to supply because it's love that overcomes. It's love that casts out fear. It's love that strengthens and quickens us. And there are just, you know, we get in the church, we often get as down and out as the world out there. And it's just, that's natural. It's not, I'm not saying that to condemn us, but it's saying it to perk us up, say, what happens when we get in that place? We have to say, where, where am I finding my love? Am I pursuing the love? Am I going to the word in love? In Matthew 24, 12, it says, Jesus talked about the last days, the love of many will wax cold. Waxing cold is a poetic term, meaning it's just gradually getting colder and colder. And again, our culture doesn't foster a love uh, a heated love type uh, vibe, if I can say it that way. And the church can get weary as well because we can get caught up in all these good things without refueling in the love of God. But the world needs a church full of the love of God right now. They need to see love in action. And outside there, you know, they want tolerance. They're preaching tolerance. Tolerance to all except for the Christians, of course. But they're not happy. They're, they're not satisfied. They're getting their tolerance, but it's the love that's going to win them over. And I think there are more people depressed and anxious out there now who are getting their tolerance than they ever were before. I've seen stats that talk about how there are so much. Suicide rates are higher and all of that. And they need the church right now. They don't think they need the church, but they need the lampstand shining. Jesus called the church the lampstands. And we have to be shining. How do we shine? Well, it's with the love. And if we can get that for ourselves, then we can give it. problem is we, we fail to get it ourselves sometimes, and we have to remember, as Jesus said. So here's the good news. I've, I might have put us in a corner here. Where is the love? Jesus doesn't just give us the problem. He gives us the remedy. And that comes in uh, the three words, basically, that we'll see in this verse. Remember, repent, and do. Remember, repent, and do. How do you get this love flowing again in your life? How do you get it rekindled? Well, remembering rekindles. Verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Remembering rekindles. 
it takes a little bit of diligence and purpose to remember. But you know, 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. So it is good to remember and recall the gospel. Recall how Jesus went to the cross, how Jesus took our sins, how Jesus can take all our guilt, our shame, how he did that, and remember that time when we first understood these things, where we were in life and what we were going through. Remember how you first understood the gospel, if you first understood the gospel. If you haven't understood the gospel, go back and read the gospel. Remember what Jesus did. He cared so much that he left the glories of heaven for this filthy, rotten, corrupt earth so that he could rescue our filthy, rotten, corrupt souls and turn us into glorious, shining lights for him in the power and the love of the Holy Spirit. He did all of this, and it takes a little bit of stopping to remember and rekindle that. And when you think of the love of God, the love of God, that he didn't just set the world in motion and say, well, you're on your own, and now you go down into the pits, how he's made a way for all of us, how he's made a way through the cross, how he raised Jesus from the dead so that we could have the hope how he offers us the promises of his word, how he, he gives us his very power to grow us in the things of the Lord. It's all because he loves us. We have to rehearse these things. In fact, the Greek word for remember is to put a mindset in a rehearsal function, to be continually rehearsing these things. But what do we usually rehearse? What are we usually mindful of? Oh, now I'm getting into somebody's closet, right? You know, well, we're all, I mean, we're all in the same boat. We, it's, we rehearse the wrong things. And so we, it's, we've left our pursuit. We have to think about what we're thinking about. You know, you watch a movie or something. The next morning you wake up. I, this used to be me. Somehow I don't anymore. I guess I don't watch as many movies. But I'll re, be rehearsing what I, the scenes and thinking about all that stuff. And it, it'll just get running and running in my head. Nobody else has that happen, do you, or something? I don't know. I think, what about Scripture? Why aren't I rehearsing Scripture? Why aren't I rehearsing the goodness of God? And for some reason, I have to put a little more effort. It's easy to think of the things, the news and the doom and gloom out there and the thing you watched last night. Those things just flow effortlessly. But the things of God, for some reason, you have to make a decision and say, no, i got to think about what I'm thinking about. i got to get this back in my head. i got to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. i got to go back. Let me go read something encouraging, something remembering what it's all about and remembering who I am in Christ and, and what he has for me here and now and in the future. It takes some effort. Why? Because we are still in the natural. We are still in the flesh we have everything in the Spirit, but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that the Spirit can start to grow and dominate us instead of the flesh. And that's the battle that Paul talks about in Romans 7 and in Galatians 5. He's just talking about the flesh lusts against the Spirit. And it doesn't mean that you have to constantly have this battle. It just means you have to be sensitive and understand that and then say, I'm siding with the Spirit I'm going to rehearse what God has done for me. I'm going to rehearse where I am now, where I could be if I hadn't known Jesus. I think about my friends that I grew up with, and some of them were bad dudes. I was a bad dude. And, uh, and I think, they still don't know the Lord. And I thought, what if that was me? And, you know, what if I was in the wrong place? And what, 
you know, what would it be like when you finally go and you have to face the Lord? It makes, sometimes it makes me cringe if I really think about it. Think about where you'd be if you didn't know him. Think about what you have when you do know him. Knowing him guarantees eternal life now and the hereafter. We don't have to fear the deathbed. We, we look, look to the glory and he gives us deposit. Everything is, these things we could talk on and on about. You'll see that I'm just rehearsing these things in front of you so that we can remember and rekindle. Um, I was in China once and I was on my bike. There's huge crowds. And I stopped and thought, you know, this is all too normal. I need to remember for a second. I have to, you know, rekindle. Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift that is in him. And uh, sometimes we have to stir up these remembrances. I had to sit there on my bike at a red light thinking, wow, I'm on the other side of the world. Look at all these people. It becomes amazing again. But, you know, it was just getting routine. It's hard all, all the time. I was living there for many years. And, but I have to stop and think, this is real. I'm on the other side of the earth. And, and all these people, most of them don't know Jesus. And that sort of awakened my heart. But, you know, you can do that. You're, with your spouses, you can remember. You can remember that time of romance and, and how good it was. And, well, it's not that way today. Well, you can start to rehearse and remember the good things and, and bring that up. You stir up these feelings and, and things. Um, on an airplane, how many times have I flown on an airplane and I see people falling asleep while we're taking it off, but I always try to wake myself up and say, I'm in a big metal tube and we're leaving the earth and we're in the sky and we're not falling. I know it's all physics and technology and, and uh, where we are, but it's still amazing. It's, it's amazing. I've, we had a tour group once from China. It was their first flight. And they were all wearing these red caps and holding these flags and stuff. They were excited. They were giggling on the plane and everything. And, and uh, then it was time to sit and buckle your seat belts. And as we took off, they all erupted in applause and cheers. It's like, yeah! And it's like, well, this is their first time flying. Um, but I thought, that's the way it ought to be. You know, we could get excited about a lot of things in life if we just sort of rehearsed and remembered, rekindled, stir up the gift that's in us. But then it's not enough to re remember. You have to repent and then do the first works. Repent. That's a term that's been used to bang people over the head with the Bible and say, turn or burn and things. But repent simply means change your course. Change your course. Change your thinking. It's a turning and we're saying, turn away from that and turn towards the Lord. And that's a simple thing to do. It's just a matter of your will, your heart. It doesn't mean you have to become super saint immediately. It doesn't mean you have to do everything and earn a golden spot in God's book. It just means you're turning your heart to him. Jesus said, repent and then do the first works. There's that word protos again, the first works. What are the primary significant works. Well, is it doing uh, church works or defending the truth? No, those are good things. Those aren't the primary things. Primary things are worshiping the Lord, obeying the Lord, loving Him, pursuing that relationship with Him. And I think of what were the... We can also talk about primary works. What were the first things you did when you first got excited about the Lord? You were probably uh, want, wanting to discover what else... 
can I learn about Jesus? You were probably wanting to share with others. You were probably uh, more in a place of worship and hungry for the word. And that just means turn back to that again. We know of a friend that uh, just became a Christian and she got all excited. She was so on fire for the Lord. She started going to a church and, and she would say amen and hallelujah when the preacher preached and she would get involved in the small group and she'd be excited sharing what she was learning all the time and then one elder took her aside and said, hey, sister, cool down. You know, this is all new to you, but don't worry, you'll level off. No, no, that's terrible advice, right? In fact, there may be some truth to it. We tend to level off, but instead of trying to pour water on that fire, we ought to be dousing more gasoline into the flames. Would to God that we all were just crazy, fanatical, zealous for Jesus. Boy, we'd really look strange out there. I'm not saying you have to look kooky and strange, but you can be on fire for the Lord and not be ashamed to, to speak it and to say an amen or to, or to just want to share what the Lord's showing you. Well, I don't have that kind of excitement. Well, this is why Jesus gave this message. He's saying, remember, remember, and then change your course. Get on that track. It doesn't mean you have to succeed perfectly. You don't have to say, oh, I'm in trouble. I don't have that. It just means get in position and put, put this before the Lord. You know, they, In the Old Testament, they put the sacrifices on the altar, and then the Lord sent the fire. I think that's what the Lord's saying. You know, He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a matter of just saying, I want this. I want to get back into my first love. I want to be filled with the overcoming love of Jesus that I might overcome out there in the world. David said it in Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. And this is something that we all I believe every Christian desires this, that you may dwell, let's say spiritually, we're talking about dwelling in the presence of God and being strengthened by beholding his beauty, getting a spiritual taste and seeing that the Lord is good. It's the place of safety. It's the place of strength. It's the place of help. It's the place of relationship and fellowship. And, and everything is okay. It's that secret place of the Most High, Psalm 91. What Christian doesn't desire this? We all desire, if we, if we have any relationship with God, we want to be in this place. We want to be where the strength and the beauty and the blessing is in the Spirit, in Christ, knowing and seeing what we can't see in the natural. What Christian doesn't desire that? But how many Christians say that I will seek this? One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. And that's where I think we get some hang-up. Most of us will desire it, but most will fail to seek. Jesus said, seek and you will find. And again, we're back to our microwave culture. Well, I sought it for five minutes and I didn't get it. It's not a matter of how much time you're seeking. It's a matter of your heart, and your lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of seeking. It's a lifestyle of remembering, rehearsing, and repenting, changing your course. We often have to change course. And then doing the first works, being in the position where we can, we can find. Seek and you will find. 
So that's the challenge. Do you want to dwell in the house of the Lord and behold the beauty? Are you seeking it? And most of us are seeking other things, usually, if we're honest. We want to be seekers and seek the will of God for this place, the will of God for our lives, and be seeking to know his love greater and greater because it says his love surpasses knowledge. We get a little taste of it and it builds us up. Think about just growing in that and going deeper into that ocean of love. It's boundless. You can't exhaust the love of God, but you can get exhausted seeking the love of God, right? But that's, that's our journey. We encourage each other. We build each other up. We get to the word. We get help for this. And we seek that love. And it's a seeking that is well worth it, well rewarding. It builds us up and it puts us out where God can really uh, communicate with us better and, and have fellowship and use us in a way that's going to be effective. And so he finishes here with, To him who overcomes... To him who overcomes, verse 7, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So uh, overcoming is necessary. Like I said, we, it's hard to seek. God's love is inexhaustible, but we get exhausted sometimes seeking. That's why he gives us a word about overcoming. Discipleship is a process. Growing in the Lord is a process. And there's battles. The devil doesn't want you to be quickened and empowered by the love of God, so he's going to throw hindrances all the time, but it's going to be up to us whether we overcome or not. Will we remember, repent, and do? And the good news is, is that he has promised to help us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He will provide all we need, but there's some overcoming, and that means being serious about our walk, our commitment, and staying the course, and when we get off to correct the course again. And we will have partaking of the tree of life. And we see that the tree of life appeared in Genesis, and now it appears in Revelation. The tree of life represents the good life, the blessing, the purpose of God. God purposed in Eden for life to be perfect, but it wasn't. Sin came into the world, corrupted that, but God had a plan. He brought forth the redemption all the way to the end where the tree of life appears again in the book of Revelation. And he says that him who overcomes has a right to this tree of life. It says in Revelation 22, he talks about giving them the right to the tree of life. In the garden, it was forbidden because he didn't want people staying in the same sinful condition and having that be our everlasting tree of life. We, that, was, that was the, uh, after the corruption, we were forbidden to go to that tree. But through our process, through our journey, through the love of God, he restores it. So from beginning to end, God has a purpose for good. We don't see a lot of good in the world, but that's not God's intention. God's intention is good, and he's working all things. So at the end, it will be eternally good, and we will all have a place at that tree of life. And the paradise of God is a word that is uh, hard to explain, but it meant originally a garden of delight, paradise, and then it became into the meaning of Eden. So Eden began as a garden of delight, but eventually paradise became uh, a word to mean heaven. 
But you put all that together. Garden of delight, Eden, heaven, paradise. That's God's will for us. And it's not on this earth that we have paradise. But the paradise of God can begin through the first love relationship because it starts in our spirit. He's training us for reigning us, as I said last week. He's preparing us in relationship with him so that we can handle the paradise of God and not fall, not be under any uh, wrong way as we rule and reign with Jesus Christ. That is an incredible promise that we have, a hope that we have in God, and it makes me want to love him more. Um, but I have an advantage because I'm speaking these things to you, and hopefully you're, you're receiving them. Some of you are smiling. Hopefully you're getting it or you're being polite. But uh, it's good. I'm, when I speak it, it does something to me. And you don't have to be a preacher to speak these things. You can speak them to other people or to yourself when you're alone. You can, I mean, there's, there's value in speaking the hopes that we have in God. And even when you get and worship him in prayer time, just making those worship statements, you, you are worthy, you're, you're bringing us to a place of glory, we have the right to the tree of life if we overcome, all these things because of Jesus. Rehearse these things, remember them, and it will do something. And we love him because he first loved us. We will get back into that place and hopefully continue to pursue love as the motivation for all things in our Christian life. Amen. And so we have so much to be thankful for. We're going to close now with give thanks, and, uh, and then we will continue.